to the Tennis Podcast. My name is Nick. I'm Brandon. Today we are going to be covering a top 10 list. Brandon does not know what that list is until right now. I have the list in front of me. But before I reveal the list, oh, this is going to be a giveaway, but Brandon, when I say the word horror, H-O-R-R-O-R. Horror or horror? Horror. Horror. Okay. Horror. Yes. What's the first thing you think of? The Shining. Yep. I actually predicted you would say that. Shining yes. is a great horror film. It's a better book, in my opinion. I know you disagree on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but you are referring to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, right? Not <laughs> not ABC's <laughs> Stephen Wright's The Shining. <laughs> uh, it's so weird that you, you'd think of Stanley Kubrick's first. When I think of horror, the first thing I think of is It. Another Stephen King, just coincidence here, but the book and last year's movie uh, and the original miniseries from 1990, also one of my favorite pieces of fiction. Today's top 10-ish list is the highest grossing horror films of all time. Uh, right away, I have to ask, are these adjusted for inflation? These are not adjusted for inflation. Let me give you some reasoning for that. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what I wanted to cover this week. And I looked at both the adjusted for inflation list and the not adjusted for inflation. And for any jackasses out there, it's... Explain to the folks at home what adjusted for inflation means. I'm no expert. I'll do my best here. But adjusted for inflation basically means that ticket prices for movies were a lot different in 1950 or 60 or 70 or even 2000 than they are today. And so adjusted for inflation means it's basically leveling the playing field to where a movie's box office gross from the 50s can compare to a movie's box office gross in 2018. So I looked at both lists, and one, I found that they were were still fairly similar, despite, you know, we had the same few films that made both lists. But the not-adjusted-for-inflation list is just more interesting to me. Anyway, it's a lot of the same films anyway, and I have notes that we'll go through on which films made the adjusted anyway. Let me clarify. This is the top 10-ish highest-grossing horror films ever not adjusted for inflation. But despite that, there's still some old films that make the top 10, which is all the more impressive. Right. And I would kind of expect that. So why don't we start by... Brandon? Why don't you tell me a few films that you're pretty certain are not in the top 10? Bride of Chucky. (laughs) Bride of Chucky. I Uh, never saw it. I never saw it, but I know it. I know it stars or is that the bride of Chucky is voiced by, um, I can't remember, uh, Jennifer Tilly. Yeah. I think her name is. That's it. I never saw it, but I did wonder, did the dolls, uh, make love in that movie? I'm pretty sure they did. Isn't that like the whole point? Like the movie's like super. I think I need to see this now. Uh, If there's a chance that these dolls, if it's, um, if it's like uh, team America world, please. Yeah, if Chucky lays down on top of her, I want to watch it. You know, the... Thanks for that disgusting drinking noise. (laughs) Uh, But Child's Play... uh, That was was the sound of Chucky laying on top of her. (laughs) Child's Play started as a straightforward horror film, but a lot of the sequels, including Bride of Chucky and especially like Seed of Chucky... Uh, are comedy horror films now. Oh, I guess, yeah, they, they, they had to have lay with one another if there was a seed of Chucky. Yeah. Yeah, so I need to get caught up. I've seen Child's Play 
I've seen the first and I think I've seen the second and I enjoyed them. I was a kid when I saw them, but I think as an adult, I would really like to see these two uh, dolls going at it and then making a doll baby. You could just watch porn of humans doing it. (laughs) That's not what I'm after. Uh, About Chucky. Today, I'm a huge horror fan. It's my favorite genre. You know this about me. But when I was nine years old, that was not the case. I was scared to death of horror films, and I was at a sleepover with a friend's house one time. I remember this really vividly. And he and they were put they put child's play in. And I'd, <laughs> I'd obviously never seen it. I was nine. We're all nine. I don't know why. The, you know, my, my parents never let me watch rated R films uh, when I was nine, but this parent, uh, this kid's parents did. So we watched child's play. I'm gripping my... So you guys, you guys uh, settle down and watch uh, Child's Play and hear some razor blades to play with. Yeah. So we're watching Child's Play. I'm gripping the pillow the whole time. And get this. There's uh, this kid who's nine. It's his ninth birthday party. He's a huge horror fan at nine. So he has like all the Chucky movies. He has all the Halloween, all the Friday 13th, all over. And he has life-size Chucky dolls, several of them, all over the bedroom. That we're watching yeah. this. <clears throat> I remember that at the time that Child's Play was popular, I don't remember Chucky dolls, although I'm positive that they had them. At the time that Child's Play was originally popular um, in the 80s, was also a time when they sold a life-size doll, uh, one for girls and one for boys. Um, the, the one for boys was called My Buddy. And there was a song, My Buddy and Me. And then at the end of the commercial, they would switch over and advertise the girls' version, which was called Kid Sister. And it was a doll. That, like, it was child's. It looked just like a kid, and it was the same size as a kid. And it looked like he was dragging around a body like in the backyard to play with. And I always thought that was weird that at the same time, this terrifying movie about a doll coming to life and murdering people uh, was popular that some toy maker was like, you know what we should do? Uh, take that same idea and market it as if it is totally not creepy for a kid to drag around a, a body the size of themselves. Right. And did it talk? No. I mean, that is I don't creepy. Think so. I didn't have one, but I don't think it talked. But imagine seeing that doll killing people right in front of you, and then you look to your right and your left, and that doll's sitting there looking at you. <laughs> it terrified me. And I actually, uh, the, the scene I remember most is when the kid's laying in bed with the Chucky doll before anyone knows it's evil, and the mom closes the door and listens at the door to see if she can hear the doll talk to him like the kid's telling her. And you see Chucky's eyes shift over and see her shadow in the door. And so he says, you know, he says whatever, like, friendly doll thing he's supposed to say. But that just freaked me out. And I actually slept with a Bible under my bed for, like, the next few months. And well, one more thing about Chucky is uh, I'm a big Seinfeld fan, and Child's Play is one of the few VHSs I can make out in the background of Jerry's apartment. Really? I've never noticed that before. It does seem like a movie that he would enjoy. Because it has a toy that comes to life. And now, since we're speaking about horror and horror. being a child, horror and being a child and using the Bible as the, <laughs> the defense great, mechanism. <laughs> yeah, the great as a shield, uh, like a, like a child Van Helsing. Uh, when I was 12 or 13, I 
Well, when I was a kid, I was a big reader, and we would go to the library all nerd the time. Nerd alert. Yeah, nerd alert, uh, especially during the summer. And I quickly left the children's and even the young adult section and went to two sections of the library. I would go to the adult nonfiction section with all the stories about aliens and abductions and ghosts and hauntings and crypt orchid, uh, cryptids and... um other creepy stuff like that, uh, serial killers and murderers. And then I would also seek out like the adult fiction section with like Stephen King and other books like that. And I checked out William Peter Blatty's Exorcist. I had not seen the movie yet. I had only seen bits and pieces of it, but I checked out the novel and I read the entire thing. And the novel is at least twice as scary as the film. It describes black mass and these insane like rituals and even darker like things that uh, the demon says inside of the girl and I would read it before bed every night <laughs> and then to cancel out like so that the devil uh, wouldn't get me <laughs> I would turn the exorcist book face down I don't know why that mattered on my dresser and then I would put the bible on top of it smart to neutral to neutralize it and how old uh, are you? It, wor- it worked I was never attacked or possessed by the devil how old are you, were you at this time? I was 12 or 13. I was probably too, too that's, young. That's to, heavy to be reading. That's heavy material yes, for a 12 year old. Way too young to be reading that book, but also too old to like probably think that the Bible could <laughs> prevent, prevent me from loosing a demon. I mean, we wouldn't be here doing this podcast today, perhaps. So, so Bride me, of Chucky and Seed of Chucky, I'm going to guess, are not on there. None of the Chucky films made the top ten. And I'll tell you, the highest grossing Chucky film was the original Child's Play, $44 million, which is small number. And that's a theme here, is that a lot of these like horror icons that mm-hmm. most people, that are really mainstream, and people know who they are, even if they haven't seen the movies, a lot of those movies grossed very little and would, they, they actually grew in stature and legend after the fact. Yeah. I would say that a lot of a horror films success comes, um, comes from repeat viewings or showing someone who hasn't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that always involves, you know, renting from a VHS to a DVD. I think horror is really best fit for home viewing. Every time I've seen a horror movie in the theater, uh, with one exception, it's been ruined or at least been messed with by distractions in the theater. I like it, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of people, I like it super dark and super quiet and no distractions when I'm watching a movie in the theater. And horror movies sometimes seem to attract a crowd who is into whooping it up and yelling like, don't go in there, Jason's in there. <laughs> and, and there's a movie that I'm positive is on this list and I have, um, I have one such tale from seeing that movie in the theater. I'm also going to guess that there are no Friday the 13th movies on here. None of the sequels from Friday the 13th or Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm going to guess that none of the sequels are on here. You'd be correct. Uh, what about the originals? I think there's a chance that some of the originals on here. I think there's a chance that Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th might be. I think it was... I think it had a fairly small, like, I don't think it made a big blip in the theaters. I think a lot of these movies gained attraction from, like, HBO or cable. Yeah. 
I'm going to throughout throughout the 80s and 90s. I'm going to blow up uh, things for you here. I'm sure a lot of listeners are thinking that the original Halloween or the original Friday the 13th or the original Nightmare on Elm Street had to have one of those had to have made the top 10. For context real quick, I'm going to tell you that the number 1 movie on this list made 700 million in the box office. 700 million for number 1. And I'm going to tell you that not one of those original films we were just talking about, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, none of them even surpassed 100 million. Not one of them are even in the top 25. Yeah, I guess it doesn't surprise me now that you say it. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, it, well, it did surprise me going in. Whenever I do research for these, I kind of make note of what I'm expecting to find before I reveal it. And I had Halloween and Friday the 13th on here. Um, another one I had on here was The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I'm going to tell you that only one of those films surpassed 100 million, and that was the remake in 2003. I think a lot of these really, really grew. Um, through video rental or cable. Yeah. But it's just really surprising. I mean, I'm sure people have those on their list because everyone knows who Jason is. Everyone knows who Michael Myers is. Everyone knows who Freddy Krueger is. Everyone knows who Leatherface is, whether you've seen the movies or not. Yeah. They've invited him into their homes. Yeah. But you know, my favorite thing about Freddy Krueger, hell of an ass. ass. Yeah. Hell of an ass. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm ready to get, I think I'm ready to get into this list. Real quick, we'll just go through these rapid fire, but uh, a few movies that I was sure would not be in the top 10. Leprechaun 4 in space. (laughs) (laughs) I've missed that one. I haven't seen it. If I haven't seen Bride or Seed of Chucky, Leprechaun 4 is very low low on the list. Although now that you mention it, that he's in space... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe it's been bumped up a little bit. You know, Freddy, or uh, not Freddy, Jason goes to space too in one of his movies. Uh, and I have another space movie here, Killer Clowns from Space. Uh, I have a story about Killer Clowns from from Space that uh, I'll have to tell you off air. Okay. <laughs> too, it's too, too hot for the mics. <laughs> wow. I mean, can you give us a teaser? Um... There's a scene, yeah, I guess I'm just going to say it. There's a scene in the movie where, as you may have guessed, if you've never seen it, killer clowns come from outer space and terrorize some, um, some 1980s teenagers. And like a lot of 1980s movies, uh, there were a couple of like, uh, like horny guys, right? A couple of, like a couple of guys out of the movie Porky's who were just trying to like oh, yeah. get girls or see some boobs or now, something. Are these real girls or are these? Puppet Chucky girls that you want to see. <laughs> uh, they're these guys are thirsty the whole movie. <laughs> and uh, if I remember right, towards the end, it's towards the end that one of the killer clowns that is female, her she's in front of these guys, and I think at first they're scared, but then her breasts like inflate <laughs> like a couple of balloons. And the guy's eyes get like as big as dinner plates. <laughs> I can't remember what after that, but they went from sheer terror from like, well, maybe this killer clown from outer space, uh, maybe she deserves a single look. The, the point of that, and this is part that you may cut, was like, that's one of the first times I noticed that I was like, <laughs> never mind. I'll just, just say, say it. it I'll, cu- I'll cut it. Just say it. It was like, <laughs> It was one of the first times I saw something and I was like, oh, that caused a little stirring in me. <laughs> uh, I said I was going to edit that, but I'm not. Oh. It caused a little stirring in you. <laughs> God. How old were you? 
Oh, probably like eight or nine. 28, 29? So we we know now that what Brandon's interested in is dolls having sex and clowns, (laughs) clowns from space and their expanding inflatable breasts. Yep. (laughs) Got it. All right. uh, A few more movies not on the top 10. Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Pet Cemetery 2. Critical, critically uh, loved. I mean, I'm really surprised by that. House of Wax, starring Paris Hilton. Wait, uh, what? House of Wax, starring Paris Hilton. I've never... Uh, it, I mean, House of Wax was originally a Vincent Price movie, right? Yeah. And House of Wax with Vincent Price is actually in the top 10 adjusted for inflation. But unadjusted and adjusted, the Paris Hilton version, which came out in like, what, 05 or something? Uh, did did not they say, it? like, we need we need someone who already looks like a wax dummy? <laughs> well, you remember Her- Paris Hilton was like the original Kim Kardashian. I mean... Yeah, I never really got that, too. I mean, she I wasn't, get that she's... Wasn't doll enough for you? Wasn't clown enough for you? No, she... Her skin tone was normal flesh-colored. It wasn't um, ghastly white, and she did not have a red nose or sharp fangs <laughs> or inflatable boobs. I'm, I'm uh, but, yeah, I remember, like, when she was, like, super popular, they kept putting her in movies and stuff. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. Well, everybody was like, well, why? But that one makes sense if they want someone who looks like they're made of wax. But she she's... wasn't made of wax. She was the non-wax character. Well, then that's miscasting. All right, one more sequel here, and then we'll get to the real list. Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows. I saw that in the theater. I was in college. I How took was a girl it? To, took a girl to see it in the theater, and then I apologized <laughs> after we left the theater because the movie sucks so bad. I never saw it, but I, uh, I'm actually a big fan of the original, which uh, we'll talk about yeah, today. So I. Book of Shadows. <sighs> Didn't make the cut. All right, let's get into the real top ten. What movies do you think had to have made the cut? Well, when you said $700 million, there's two recent films. Semi-recent. I say recent. One of them came out, I think, twenty almost 20 years ago, uh, <laughs> that I know were huge box office successes. One of them is even more recent. And we've already mentioned it. It was It. 1990, starring Tim Curry? This would be the 2000, what, 2017 It? 2017 It is in the top 10. I'm not going to reveal the ranking until later in yeah. this episode, but It is in the top 10, and let me tell you about it. I'm a huge fan of the movie, a bigger fan of the book. If you have not read the book, go out there and read it. And not just for the horror elements, I just think it's a great story about growing up and uh, how your childhood impacts your whole life and uh, the memories you have there. Stephen King is pigeon pigeonholed, and I would say rightly so in many, most cases, as a horror writer. But I don't think people realize that he gets people and he gets oh, yeah. child he gets childhood and he gets adolescence very very well and yeah i agree some of the parts of his novels that i enjoy the most are the fact that like the the short story or novella the body which is what the, right. the movie that uh, stand by me was based on gets you know 12 year olds better than almost anything i've ever read although it's not a although it's not a horror novel his book, 112263, mm-hmm. has one of the most, like, interesting and engaging love stories alongside the fascinating historical time travel story. So, yeah, he, if, if anyone is listening to this and has poo-pooed 
Stephen King because they thought he was kind of bland or uh, meat and potatoes, kind of a you know very straightforward just horror writer. Could not be further from the truth. He is a national treasure. And no matter what kind of reader you are, he definitely has at least one book that you will enjoy. Yeah, some other books from King that a lot of non-King readers don't even realize he did was um, he did Shawshank Redemption. He did The Green Mile. Just amazing writer. But let's talk about it. The novel by King came out in 1986. It was the best-selling novel that year. There was a TV miniseries called Stephen King's It that came out in 1990 with Tim Curry as Pennywise the Dancing Clown. And that movie terrified young young Wiki as well as uh, lots of other children about the idea of the scary clown. So It's not very good. No, if you haven't, I, I watched if you it recently. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, uh, don't. But the bright spot in it and the part that for everyone remembers and associates with it for good reason is Tim Curry's performance and his makeup yeah. as Pennywise. It's, it seems like it's one of the only things that that, that miniseries got right was Pennywise was pretty damn near perfect. And I think that's why that image still lives on as a, a creepy. Yeah. And speaking of creepy images, I can't believe they gave Bill a ponytail in that miniseries, but uh, you know, we, we've gotten a little too far without explaining what this movie and book is about. So for those who have not seen it, the 2017 version of it, which is on the top 10 list here, it is set in the year 1989, tells the story of seven children in the fictional town of Derry, Maine, who are terrorized by a being known only as It, only to face the, their own demons in the process. And there's actually a sequel coming out in 2019 with those kids as adults. Some other things about the movie, Bill Skarsgård has a breakout performance as Pennywise the Dancing Clown, which is one of the personas of It. Bill Skarsgård also did a great job as the kid in the Hulu series Castle Rock, which I also recommend. And lastly, a few other notes that It was the largest weekend opening ever for a horror film. And it's also the second largest rated R opening ever, only behind uh, Deadpool. It is... The film that I mentioned earlier that I had a poor experience in the theater with. Now, going into the film, I had also read the book. It's one of my favorite books, period. But it, I knew going in that this is a very dark, very disturbing film with nightmarish imagery. And I went by myself. My, my wife isn't interested in horror movies, and I did not take my five-year-old child to see it. So I went by myself, and I sat down, and it was a packed theater because it was it had only been open for a week or so. And there was a couple sitting next to me who had brought their what I who I guessed was their four-year-old daughter. I, you know, I thought about maybe mentioning to them, but then I thought, you know, whatever, it's their kids, their problem. The girl was terrified the entire movie. Yeah, that actually like breaks my heart to think of, because that movie is, I mean, for, especially for people that don't like horror or are not used to horror. I mean, that's a heavy, heavy film with a lot of really, it's the, they're very talented. There are not quite as many jump scares as uh, other modern horror films, but there is some imagery that is just straight up. Yeah. Stuff and terrible. Especially yeah. for a kid. Anyway, um, 
<laughs> Great story. Oh, I mean, thanks for that. It really brightens shout, up the show here. Shout out to that little girl. Hope things, uh, hope everything's going okay. One more note about it, and then we can move on, is it had a Rotten Tomatoes score of 85%. And for anyone, any horror fans out there, I think you could agree that you got to kind of see a lot of bad horror to get to the good horror. In other mm-hmm. words, uh, Rotten Tomatoes is not kind to the horror genre in general. And, and that's mostly well-deserved, but it managed to make 85%, which is near unheard of territory for horror films. Although I will say um, there's several films that get pretty high on this top 10 list, which is probably yeah, why they're on here. Besides comedy, uh, I don't know if people realize horror, besides comedy, horror is probably the most difficult genre to pull off well. It is extremely difficult. You know, they talk about you know needing some sort of award. I don't think they need this. I don't. I think the world is full of enough self-congratulatory bullshit. But they talk about how like there needs to be an award for best comedy because it's so difficult. And I can see the point in that. But if that's true, then there needs to be a category for uh, best horror or best thriller mm-hmm. because it is incredibly difficult to pull off and balance and. It does very well at balancing uh, comedy. There's some good wisecracks in it, along with horror. And then um, that kind of 1980s adolescent nostalgia that I know is so uh, yeah. popular, right? They, they nail the setting really well in that film. And I actually uh, heard and read online people saying it ripped off Stranger Things, which is <laughs> ironic because Stranger Things ripped off it. And I love Stranger Things. It's one of my favorite shows. So I'm not ripping on Stranger Things. I'm just saying that it was first <laughs> and, and Stranger and Things the, came after. And the Duffer brothers who created and, and are the showrunners for Stranger Things would agree with you. There yeah. are little callbacks and little hints and uh, Easter eggs scattered throughout Stranger Things. They know that they owe a lot of, of what they're doing to Stephen King. Let's move on from it. But I do want to pause, make a, a note here that I forgot to say at the top. My sourcing for this is boxofficemojo.com, and I actually found the list from a uh, reviewbusinessinsider.com did. And this is a good point, or a good time to say, too, like, what classifies as horror. So some movies that would be on here but aren't would be like War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise. Some people might consider that a horror, uh, but I don't, and it didn't make, you know... Business Insiders list. So just want to flag that too. Before we get go any further too, I do want to put a quick plug for the show. You can follow this show at Tennish Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's one zero ISHPOD. And I'm making a breaking news announcement right now, Brandon. Get that, ready. That two announcements actually. One, we are going to reveal what the subject of that week's episode is ahead of time on our Facebook page first before anywhere else. So if you want to know what the upcoming episode is, you want to follow us on Facebook. And two, not this week, uh, not this next week, but soon, we are going to do a poll on our Twitter to determine the following week's episodes. And you know what? I'll tell you what. I'll also post a picture of Brandon scarfing down a hot dog at an airport over a trash can that I will share on our Instagram account. You're going to want to see that. Brandon, don't even say anything, Brandon. <laughs> Don't it even say anything. Have... Don't say anything. Okay. Nope. All right. All right. All right. All right. Now I just want to guess the list. Okay. What else is in the top ten? The Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch Project was on my list for movies I thought would be in the top ten, but it's not. Blair Witch is actually number twenty-one. Surprised. Two hundred forty-nine million. It was huge that year. I'm really surprised. Um, Let's talk about Blair Witch for a minute. It gets a bad rap, I think, 
from a lot of people who don't know better. Um, it popularized the found footage style, which yes. I know a lot of people hate that style. But, I mean, if you can look past, like, your own distaste in the style, I mean, Blair Witch Project is a groundbreaking film. It was a surprise hit. The marketing for it was really interesting. They I, would used, go I would assume that you need to go into to enjoying the Blair Witch Project uh, with the sort of context and understanding that you need to understand in watching other... Well, I wouldn't say that Blair Witch Project, Blair Witch Project is a classic film, but there are certain films that you have to understand the context or the history of film at the time to understand why they were so significant. Like, um, Citizen Kane, you know, was so significant because storytelling had never been done in a film that way. The type mm-hmm. of shots that they used and until that point, film was more like putting a camera in front of a play. Uh, so the visual storytelling in Citizen Kane is something you may not be able to appreciate unless you understand that it was the first film to do that. Uh, same thing with like uh, The Godfather and the way the, the lighting is done in that. Very realistic, very dramatic lighting, very strong use of shadows. When that movie came out, a lot of people, including studio executives, worried that it was ruined or that it was uh, there were mistakes because it was so poorly lit. And it was a movement, and again, in visual storytelling, uh, bent towards realism or using light and, and darkness as a storytelling mechanism. The Blair Witch Project came at a time when there, and not only were there no other found footage films, but they had a marketing plan, or they had a marketing strategy that was built around the idea that they presented this story as if it was completely real. The three actors in it went by their real names in the film. They did no press uh, leading up to the film. I think they did very limited press after the immediate release of the film. And I went to that theater with a group of people. I was in high school. And I went to that film with a group of people. And one of the girls had seen all the marketing for it and did not know that it was fiction. She had seen all the marketing and believed that they were real people who really died and that all that footage was real. And she bawled outside of that movie theater. And we had to convince her that it was a marketing strategy, that it was not real, that this, that that people were actors. Well, and that Um, was a, I'm sorry, really powerful. That was very, very powerful at the time. And I'm sure she wasn't the only one who had a profound experience watching that movie because it was something that had not been done on that scale before. Exactly. Paranormal Activity later would kind of try to capitalize on that strategy too. Uh, About Blair Witch, something I really find, I mean, I agree with everything you said. And something really interesting about it too is if you read up on the movie, the, the, the acting was a lot of times not even really acting. They would put those actors out there in the woods and then they would leave them. (laughs) And they would, they would leave a camera with them and there was not a huge crew behind the camera there. And there was no script. You know, the actors would have a direction they knew they would work in, but mm-hmm. the filmmakers would would literally scare the actors, like, off camera with the actors not knowing what it is. And so it's it like, curb your enthusiasm in the woods. <laughs> I think that's what they were going for. But um, it, it's, it's just that they, the stress and the anxiety uh, and the emotion in the film is uh, is pretty uh, genuine. There's something else I've, I've noticed about that film, and I don't know enough horror films to know if this had been done in a horror film before it. It's the first time I ever saw it, and the first time I think many people ever saw it. But in that film, there's a point where one of the characters is missing. 
Yeah. And they, they're screaming. They're looking for him. I think it was Josh. They're looking for Josh screaming and they never find him. And in the middle of the night, they can hear him screaming, but they, ne- you know, of course never find him. And then the next day they find a little bundle, a little witchy bundle that the witch left, I guess. And when they open it up, <laughs> a witchy bundle from a witchy woman. Yeah. When they open it up, open up the witchy bundle, there were his bloody teeth in it. And that was, that blew me away in the theater. And I had never seen it before and I hadn't seen it since until I saw the trailer for the new Halloween. There's a point part in the trailer where a woman is um, hiding in a bathroom stall and Michael Myers puts his hand over the top of the stall and, and drops a handful of bloody teeth in there with him. And I wonder if that was partly inspired by, by Blair Witch Project. The thing about Blair Witch too is it employed a style that I really enjoy, which is in other films on this list. And that is that you never really see the villain. She's implied and you see the signs of her presence, but you don't see her. And I really enjoy it. And some people get frustrated by that. No, I love that. Yeah, I I really enjoy that. But anyway, as revolutionary as the Blair Witch Project is... Not on here. It's it's number 21, so it did not make the top 10. Okay, let's see Paranormal Activity. Paranormal Activity is right behind Blair Witch. It's in the top 25 with $207 million. I can't believe this. I'm doing horrible. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on Paranormal Activity. Uh, but I do want to mention how effective it was. I saw that at the theater. I think I'd been married like less than a year. So my wife and I saw it at the theater. Um, theater was nearly empty, so it was a great experience, terrifying. And then that night, I had, I had a horrible nightmare based on it. And it was one of those nightmares where you try to speak out loud uh, in your sleep. Everything comes out as like a muffled, <laughs> I don't know, as just a muffled moaning. My wife said in the middle of the night, I was going, Oh God, oh God, no, no, oh God, no. <laughs> so yeah, I can't believe it's not on the top 10, but um, it's, it deserves a, a special place in the top 10 horror movies that have immediately given me a nightmare. Paranormal Activity is another one that people shit on over time when... I mean, you know, you can have an opinion on whether or not it was like a great movie, but it was a a super successful and it changed the game. It it had a budget of like $15,000 and it made $207 So To me, the best... My favorite part about that film is when they put the flower or powder or whatever it was on the floor and get those footprints of something that looks like a three-toed <laughs> lizard. I thought that was awesome. It was super creepy. Uh, and I think the worst part is actually the part that um, I think Steven Spielberg suggested this to the filmmaker. And it's my least favorite part of the film. It's the very end. Uh, spoiler, I guess, if you haven't seen it. Uh, sorry. When Katie... The, the woman is walking towards the camera at the end with that creepy look on her face. Oh, and her face changes, right? And there is a split-second CGI change to make her look more demonic as she attacks the camera. And I thought that was a horrible way to end what had been a very effective movie. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. 
Um, okay, so let me let me move on so we can we're we're only ten percent into this list. Yeah, let me let me uh, make this easier. So here's movies that I was sure would be in the top ten, or or maybe not sure, but I I, I thought had a good chance of being in the top ten, but they're not. Uh, some we covered like Paranormal Activity, Blair Witch Project, Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The Shining is not in the top ten. Not even close. It only it only made forty four million. The Silence of the Lambs is not in the top ten. However, it is it is near the top ten adjusted for inflation. But unadjusted, it's not. Predator that could maybe be borderline if people would consider that horror or not. But sure. it's not in the top ten. And one more is Saw. None of the Saw movies made the top ten. Very interesting. I'm going to guess that a lot of these movies are more modern horror films, some of which I probably have not seen. I'll tell you, the in the top ten, the oldest movie on here is 70s. There's movies from, uh, yeah, all, from 70s all the way till today. It's the that, most recent. That rules out Rosemary's Baby and yeah. almost every Hitchcock film. So I'm yeah. going to instead guess The Exorcist. Let's think about The Exorcist. came out in 1973, and it's still not adjusted for inflation, broke into the top ten. And and adjusted for inflation, The Exorcist is number two. Uh, but unadjusted for inflation, it is in the top ten, but not number two. I think at this point, everyone is fairly familiar yeah. with The Exorcist and probably some of the behind-the-scenes stories. But the reason I guess it was probably on the list because was because of the stories... And it could have just been, you know, marketing lies about people passing out or vomiting yeah. in the theaters. Well, you have to put, you have to have the context at the time too. Think about The Exorcist. Um, the effects still hold up well today, I think. Yes. But you absolutely. have to uh, think that in 1973, nothing like that had ever been seen in at least mainstream film. And you know about that too. This is re- I didn't know this until I was doing research for this. Movie came out in '73, and it was only on 26 screens in the entire United States. Most films, most major releases come out on thousands and thousands of screens. This came out on 26, and it only grossed 66 million in its first year. But through numerous re-releases over the years, it it's grown to over 441 million globally. All the all these numbers are global, by the way. Throughout the yeah, that's right. I've, I forgot when I was in college, The Exorcist was re-released, director's cut that included a couple extra scenes. I believe they also added the flashes of the demonic face uh, that is only yeah. seen for a split second. It's almost subliminal, and uh, yeah, I bet they took in that the was a big contributor to it because it was re-released in 2000 or 2001. And I mean, I know that I went with a bunch of friends to see it. So I have to assume that a lot of other people did too. Yep. It's based on a book that Brandon talked about earlier. It won Oscars, which is also nearly unheard of for horror. It won Oscars for best sound and writing for an adapted screenplay. It's the ninth highest grossing film of any genre ever adjusted for inflation domestically. It has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 86%. And one other tidbit here, I don't know if this is true, but I read this, and it said that several directors, including Stanley Kubrick, turned The uh, the Exorcist down. Uh, do you know if that's true? You're a big Kubrick <clears throat> fan. I did recently. Uh, it's weird that you mentioned that. I did very recently hear that Kubrick was offered that and turned it down. I think it's really interesting that his next film was also a horror film. I believe the reason that he turned it down had something to do with adapting the story. 
No, it's because of all the spooky stuff that happened on set, Brandon. Oh, yeah. He was too scared, which is really interesting because anyone who is a fan of The Shining knows that his interpretation or his screenplay was based on Stephen King's book, but it was different. And it ends up yeah. being sort of a similar, uh, similar feel to it, but definitely a different film from the book. Let me get, do you want me to give you some hints or do you want to just keep guessing for now? <clears throat> let me make, let me make some uh, lightning round guesses. All right. The Grudge. No, Grudge is not uh, in the top 25. The Conjuring. Okay, so here is where this list fills up. The Conjuring is on the top 10. Okay. Several movies from the Conjuring universe make the top 10, or top 25. So That is going to help me. The Conjuring, uh, the first one came out in 2013. It's grossed $318 million globally. Directed by James Wan spawned the Conjuring universe, which there is a universe now, if you can believe it. It includes films like Annabelle and the, the Nun that recently came out. The story follows Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were real people. They were paranormal investigators and authors associated with prominent cases of hunting, including uh, the Amityville Horror story. The Warrens come to the assistance of the Perron, 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 uh, I don't remember, family who experienced increasingly disturbing events in their farmhouse in Rhode Island in the year 1971. And the thing uh, about The Conjuring 2 is it was well-received by critics. 86% of Rotten Tomatoes. If I am remembering correctly, the book or the story, original story that The Conjuring was based on with Ed and Lorraine Warren is another novel that I read way too young from the adult nonfiction section. And... If I'm remembering correct, correctly, uh, is there another? Is there a film called A Haunting in Connecticut? Yeah, I think that may have been the name of the book that this was based on. Even if it was all bullshit, which I'm sure almost all of it was, the book was absolutely terrifying. And I think that's something that when it comes to these films or, or books, and really, I would also agree anything related to Ed and Lorraine Warren. Who seem like very sweet people, but they—I think they're—they're they're also like hucksters. Any book or f- story that revolves around them, if you just take it as a story itself, is I- incredible and, and terrifying. Where do you stand on the paranormal? Hmm. Uh, I've seen and heard uh, enough, and maybe another podcast that we can discuss uh, the stuff that we've maybe experienced ourselves. I've seen and heard enough to think that maybe there is something. I would say that 99% of uh, what is reported is BS, but that other 1%, there's a, there's some very, very compelling evidence that I think, that I think means that there's you know, maybe some stuff out there that we don't quite understand. But I'm not like afraid of the dark and I'm not like if I, if I read the exorcist now, I wouldn't have to put the Bible on top of it. I think it's just the devil playing tricks on us. <laughs> He's a little jokester, but you know, uh, I have a conjuring story. I'll say it quickly. I saw the conjuring in the theater, uh, in 2013. And if anyone's ever seen the conjuring, there is a clear, um, escalation of events toward the end, obviously. I mean, with most movies, they're, that's the case. And right at that point, I mean, this is like an hour and a half deep into this movie. The climax is like building. And right at that point, uh, and I, I, this is an old school theater, didn't have recliner seats. So it's the type of deal where you got, if someone wants out in that row, you have to stand up. Everyone in the row has to stand up to let them out. That was the case for a, a very, very large, obese young lady. Made the whole row get up. Again, this is near the climax of the movie. 
Mm-hmm. So you're thinking, okay, she must just really have to go to the bathroom. There's no other reason you'd get up right now. She's gone a while, and which further cemented uh, my theory. But she eventually does come back. And you couldn't miss her because she was carrying the stinkiest... <laughs> this, is, this is a true story. The stinkiest little movie theater hot dog you've ever seen. <laughs> she makes everyone get up. She struggles back to her seat, plops down. There's screams and ghosts and tension in the Ghouls. room. <laughs> Ghouls. And she just had to get herself a movie theater hot dog. Which of all the hot dogs to get, uh, you know, I'll eat myself a hot dog. Not at the airport over a trash can like Brandon did. But I wouldn't get the movie theater hot dog. She did. She had to have it. She had to get up and go get it. That's my conjuring story. That's the thing I remember most about the conjuring. It was a stinky one. All right. So I already spoiled this. So I'll just go ahead and reveal the conjuring 2 is also in the top 10. It uh, scored $320 million globally. It follows Ed and Lorraine Warren again as they travel to Britain to assist the Hodgson family who are experiencing poltergeist activity at their house in the 90s. And that's based on alleged real-life experiences now known as the Enfield poltergeist, probably the most famous poltergeist case of uh, mm-hmm. England. Rotten Tomatoes score of 79%, a little lower than uh, the original Conjuring. I guess I forgot to mention the tie-in with the haunting in Connecticut was... Oh, yeah. Just like this other story, as things escalated, they called in a priest who said, I know just who to call. It wasn't the Ghostbusters. It was two elderly people. Um, <laughs> and it was Ed and Lorraine Warren. So you mentioned the Conjuring universe. And I know I have not seen Annabelle or The Nun. But I know that The Nun is very popular right now. Bad reviews, but yes. Um... I'm going to guess is Annabelle on this list. Now, do you guess that because you hope that Annabelle has sex with another doll during the film? <laughs> I can only assume that that's what a major plot point is built around. Is Annabelle the doll seducing Ed Warren as Lorraine Warren desperately tries to keep her husband just, sane just, just and stop. on the right side of the Lord? Just stop. There's two Annabelle movies, and they both make the top 25. And Annabelle Creation, which came out in 2017, made this list. But remember, this is not adjusted for inflation. Adjusted for inflation, these three would not be this high. But Annabelle Creation is in the top 10. It is the prequel to 2014's Annabelle. There's a third film scheduled for 2019. This movie actually got pretty positive reviews. Rotten Tomato score of 70% compared to the first Annabelle which got a 29%, which is a little more typical of modern-day horror films. Uh, so Annabelle Creation made the top 10. And that, that is all the Conjuring Universe films in the top 10. I have an idea. Is The Sixth Sense in the top 10? I'm surprised it took you this long. Sixth Sense is high up in the top 10. Let's talk about The Sixth Sense. I'm sure you have plenty to say. came out in 1999. It was the breakthrough movie for uh, our friend M. Night Shyamalan, listener of the show. <clears throat> <clears throat> shout, out, shout out to M. Yeah. It tells the, the M stands for Mike. I thought it was Mario, but uh, it tells the story of a troubled, isolated boy named Cole, played by Haley Joel Osment, who is able to see and talk to the dead, and an equally troubled child psychologist named, uh, or played by Bruce Willis. Should I reveal the ending of this movie? It's been long enough, right? Okay. Well, if you don't want to hear, if you don't want to hear, then mute the next ten seconds. But Bruce Willis, the child psychologist, is also dead, which you don't know till the end. And I think this is my personal observation. I think this is the modern go-to example of a twist ending. I feel like yeah. Sixth Sense is 
like always the go-to reference in other movies or conversations about twist endings. Um, and it was a good twist ending. Uh, it was excellent. I think I saw that in the theater when it came out. I had not been spoiled yep. at all. And I absolutely did not see it coming. Yeah. I thought it was, and it was, it's even hinted at. It's one of those, I, I love a film where at the end you get your mind blown and then if you watch it again, you have a new experience of, oh, I didn't pick that up. Oh, there's another clue. And that's a, mm-hmm. a perfect example of it. That's, um. Well, let me speak to that. Yeah. It, oh, let me oh, go ahead. back up real quick. Again, our buddy Mike Shyamalan. I just found out, I just watched an episode of Norm MacDonald Has a Show, which recently came out on Netflix. One of his guests was M. Night Shyamalan. And what I did not know, and found out in this episode, was that The Sixth Sense came out in 1999. Mm-hmm. And, of course, his life changed forever. Also that year, he had done a rewrite on the film She's All That, which was one of the number one films this year. And, or that year. And there was another film that he had done writing for, and I cannot remember what it was, but it was another huge film that year, one that you would still remember. He had three monster uh, successes that year, including The Sixth Sense. And that was, I mean, that's part of the reason why he's uh, still a popular filmmaker 20 years from now. He had a huge 1999. Yeah, and he hasn't quite recaptured that magic sense. He got close with another film that we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, Sixth Sense, uh, it's a great film. And you were talking about how when you watch it a second time, you see these hints. And the uh, analysis I read on this film, uh, its box office performance, is that it had a must-see twice appeal. So a lot of the reason it did so well was people went and saw the film again. A few other things here is that uh, the film was nominated for six Academy Awards, including uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor. The kid, Haley Joe Osmond, had a lot of other prominent roles after this, including Pay It Forward, Artificial Intelligence with Steven Spielberg. But he kind of took a break after that, and he's only recently resurfaced in some comedy roles. He was in Sex Ed, <laughs> I read. I've not seen that, but I'll have to take Wikipedia's word for it. He was in the movie, in Kevin Smith's movie, Tusk. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I started Tusk. I grew up a huge Kevin Smith fan. And I tried to, I started Tusk just within the last week or so. And I got about five minutes in and decided I'm not in the mood for this. Yeah, I haven't seen it. You mentioned M. Night Shyamalan and you said there's another film of his. Real quick, might six, be in this list. Six Sense uh, got a Rotten Tomato score of eighty-five percent. Yes, there are two other M Night Shyamalan films in the top twenty-five, and one other in the top ten. And that's the one I'm focusing on now. I'm going to guess is it The Village? No, but good guess. The Village is number eighteen. Is it? Come the on, Mist. He didn't do The Mist. What's the one? He did something like that. Come on, this signs. I did not, I, I'm blown away. I did not know that that would be in the top 10. Really? Yeah, well, I. Some people might not even consider that horror. It's, it's kind of like suspense, science fiction, but. It is horror if for no other reason than that shot that is like a split second long where you just get a glimpse. Yeah. Of an alien disappearing into a field of corn. 
Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Signs is another one, like we were talking with Blair Witch earlier. Until, well, the ending of Signs is the opposite. But for the whole movie of Signs up until that point, you never see or you don't get a good look at the threat. Uh, right. It's only implied most of the time. Or you see a leg here and there. I just thought it did that phenomenally. And, you know, I, Signs is actually one of my favorite movies. I'd put it in my personal top ten. I, I do think the ending brings it down because that just, you know. But besides that, uh, I mean, myself and all the critics out there gave it positive reviews for its atmosphere and its building of the suspense. Um, it's just, oh, yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah, I think it's a great movie. It also got a Rotten Tomato score of 74%. And, I, and Mel Gibson uh, did okay, too, after that. The movie put him on the map. <laughs> it built it built suspense around like when is Mel gonna snap? <laughs> oh Mel. Okay, so we got three left on this list. I feel like we have exhaust we've exhausted M our buddy M. Uh, Mike Shyamalan. We've exhausted his contributions. We've exhausted the Conjuring universe. And we've hit the two that I was sure were here, It and The Exorcist. And I think at this point I'm going to need hints. All right. Some clues. You got two films here that are both about serial killers and they both have heavy hitters in the acting department. And then you have another film here that is a classic from the 70s. That should get Seven. Seven is on here. Seven came out in 95, stars Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, tells the story of a detective who partners with another retiring detective to track down a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as a motive in his murders. It's praised by critics for its darkness, brutality, and themes. It was nominated for Best Film in the Academy Awards and has a Rotten Tomato score of 80%. Uh, It was directed by David Fincher, who is one of my favorite directors. And I I also credit Seven with, um, if you watch the opening credits with, I think it's a Trent Reznor song uh, in the opening credits, and the credits use microfiche images they use uh, they use sort of scientific type images the writing in journals using small tools to to do creepy little things uh, using fingers that have bandages all over the fingertips mm-hmm. set to the, i think we can we can credit seven with starting that uh, a trend of aesthetic to horror films or thrillers that um, is incorporates grunge. I don't know a, quite a, a grit or grunge or, or a certain type of darkness to the atmosphere and to the artwork surrounding a film yeah. that, that at this point has probably been overdone to death. It's one of my favorite films of all because I just love uh, David Fincher and I, although it's not a twist ending, the the effect of not advertising that one of the biggest and most popular actors of that time and up until last year was in the film and was the killer was amazing. You, it, for those who haven't seen it or don't remember, Kevin Spacey was not billed as being in that movie. And you watched the whole film having no idea who the killer could be because, you know, most films they show like a little hint earlier in the movie and then it comes back and you're like, of course that guy's the killer. This is one of those movies where they just, where you don't know who it is. And when he shows up and gives himself over to police, it is shocking. I recently saw a video online where some friends 
invited a friend to watch Seven. He had never seen Seven, and he also hates, like has a visceral hate for Kevin Spacey. You know, like everyone has like an actor or someone that they just can't stand, and I guess his is Kevin Spacey. So they showed him Seven. You know, opening credits never make a mention of Kevin Spacey in this movie. So he invests an hour and a half or more of his time into it. And then they filmed his reaction when he, when Kevin Spacey shows up to turn himself in at the police station and the guy just loses his mind. (laughs) (sighs) I'm sure that guy was uh, thrilled to hear uh, Kevin Spacey's career is pretty much dead these days. Yeah. Uh, What other serial killer film comes to mind that could be in the top 10 here? I don't think you're going to guess this one. Uh, probably not. I'm gonna guess that it's not the Zo- it's not Zodiac. No, not even close. It's a sequel. Um, okay. Well, uh, again, David Fincher movie. If you've not yet seen Zodiac, I wouldn't call it much of a horror. It's more of um, no. there is some horror in it. It's very suspenseful. It's a thriller. It's a true crime uh, film. I highly recommend it. Uh, serial killer. I'm not gonna guess. So Silence of the Lambs did not make the list. But Hannibal, is it Hannibal, which came out in 2001, did make the list. And a few interesting notes about this one is uh, it stars Anthony Hopkins, who plays the iconic character of Hannibal Lecter. Uh, it also stars Julianne Moore. It is uh, the sequel to the Academy Award winning Silence of the Lambs. It's adapted from Thomas Harris' novel of the same name from 1999. And most interesting is... Well, maybe not most interesting, but that's a tall order. But it has the lowest Rotten Tomatoes score of any movie on this list, 39%. Yeah, I think a lot... Of, is this the same one where Ray Liotta was turned into like a zombie and they ate his brain? Actually, I've not... ate his own brain? I've not seen this movie. I'm pretty sure it is. I've seen all of the Silence of the Lambs or the... the is it Tim or Tom Harris? Tom. The writer. Did Tom. you say it was Tom? Th- Thomas yeah. Harris, yeah. Tom, uh, Thomas Harris. I've seen all of those films, and I cannot. I guess it's not. No, Red Dragon is the one where. Oh crap! What's his name? The British actor who is incredible. Everything he does is he disappears into the role. Who, who am I thinking of? And Kingsley. Uh, no, um, he was. I didn't see Red dude. Dragon either. I've never seen any animal movie except Silence of the Lambs. He was Siri uh, Sirius Black or something in Harry Potter. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, sorry, no. Uh, he played Jim Gordon in the Dark wait, Knight. Wait, 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 wait. Eddie Murphy? <laughs> I don't know why his name is escaping me. He played Dracula in Bram Stoker's Dracula. He is one of the like best working actors in Hollywood. Why can I not think of his name right now? I'm Chris, looking at Chris Rock. God damn you! No, he's Shia a LaBeouf. motherfucker. Kevin James. Oh, what? Uh, Adam Sandler. Gary Oldman, god damn it. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, uh, is in Red Dragon. He plays the billionaire who has been, dis- who is disfigured in the past by, uh, Hannibal Lecter. That was a decent one. Hannibal, yes. Hannibal is the one where, towards the end of the film, Ray Liotta's character is, his head, the top of his scalp or his skull is removed. And his brain is cooked and then fed to him in front of Clarice Starling. And I think that is probably a huge reason why that movie is on this list, but yet has a very low rating, is people just wanted to see that. It is a, it pales in comparison to the, uh, to the film that is Silence of the Lambs, which again, if you're interested in film, 
just film as itself. Silence of the Lambs is one of Jonathan Demme's like early films. Uh, it's insane to think that uh, like how talented he was uh, in making this movie. And there's so much extra going on in that movie about women and women's roles in what is typically seen as a man's world than than just the the dialogue and just the the, the issues on the on the surface of the film. There's a lot of good subliminal um, subliminal uh, messaging and there's a lot of imagery that goes on uh, that goes into it that makes it a really really powerful film. So yeah, if you are going to watch the top ten movies on this list, skip Hannibal and just watch Silence of the Lambs instead. I'll second that. There's one movie left on here. It's an obvious one. It's from the seventies. Made people afraid to go into the beach. See, I don't think of Jaws as a horror film, but I'm, I guess it is. Yeah. So I did see debate on that online if Jaws is a horror film or not, but for the purpose of this list, it is. So Jaws came out in 75. It's a story. I would agree that it's a horror film. It just, I don't think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm the same way. It's a story of a giant man eating great white shark who attacks beachgoers on Amity Island, a fictional New England resort town. It's directed by Steven Spielberg. I feel like I've heard that name somewhere. Steven Spielberg. Did he do something else? He produced Stranger Things. <laughs> oh, okay. Peter Bankley's 1974 novel of the same name. This film, until Star Wars, was the highest grossing film of all time, adjusted for inflation. And it even adjusted for inflation, it is currently the number seven film of all time domestically. Uh, Rotten Tomato score of 97%, the highest percentage in the top 10, which is crazy to think about. One more note here. A lot of people probably heard this, but the mechanical shark suffered many malfunctions, prompting Spielberg to mostly suggest the shark's presence, employing an ominous, minimalistic theme. And I bring that up because look at how many movies in this top 10 use that use that or a similar strategy of not overdoing... You know, one critique I have, I love the movie It from 2017, but one small critique I have of it is that I thought there was too much of the clown. And I, th- I thought they went to that well too often. And, you know, Jaws is the uh, opposite of that. No, that's a good point. I, uh, Yeah, I agree. Anytime the theater of the mind is way more terrifying. and Which is the whole point of it, ironically. <laughs> like, the story of it is mostly about f- your greatest fear. I, although I do think they, um, again, go, still talking about it, did a great job of, if you're going to show the clown... If you're, that's what you're going to build the brand around, that's what you're going to build the scares around. Make him look real and make him utterly terrifying, even if he is not doing or saying anything. And it's Bill Skarsgård, right? Yeah, he does an amazing job. Yeah, he comes from the talented family of act, the acting Skarsgårds, Skarsgårds, and he can do this thing with his eyes where they just slightly look off kilter. Um, instead of both looking straight ahead, he's just very slightly wall-eyed, and that is deeply disturbing to me. It is not a feature of Pennywise mentioned in the book, and it's not a not something that Tim Curry incorporated into his character in the miniseries. But that little bit that was added is extremely effective. Uh, I don't know. There's something yeah. very off-putting. It makes it look like he is a and he is a monster wearing. A clown skin. Yeah. And it doesn't it's, quite it's a, fit right. It's a similar look that you have when someone mentions hot dog. So <laughs> what do you... Or th- Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Roger Rabbit. God, Roger Rabbit. I never want to hear that again. 
what we we've gone through all the movies in the top ten. What are your guesses for the top few? I think it is probably uh, number one due to its. It was just huge, and it's the most recently released. So the, the list is not adjusted for impl- inflation. It definitely gives a lot of leeway, or uh, it, it weighs heavily upon the ones that are most recently listed. So I'm going to guess that it is in the top five, uh, that The Conjuring is in the top five, and the only other one that I'm going to say, I'm going to say The Sixth Sense and Jaws. You're close there. So let me reveal these uh, reverse order. Number 10, Annabelle Creation, 307 million. Number 9, The Conjuring, 318 million. Okay. Number 8, The Conjuring 2, 320 million. Number 7 is, get this, 7 with 327 million. Could that have worked out better? They did the thing. Number 6 is Hannibal, Hannibal with 352 million. Number 5 is Signs with 408 million. Number 4 is The Exorcist, 441 million. Number 3 is Jaws, 471 million. Two movies from the 70s, unadjusted for inflation, made the top mm-hmm. five. Pretty powerful. Number two is The Sixth Sense with 673 million. Number one is It, 700 million. I think it did pretty well with my guess in there. The top 10 adjusted for inflation is pretty similar to this list. A lot of the same movies are on there, like Sixth Sense, Jaws, Exorcist. Some movies that are on the adjusted list that we didn't make the list today include The Original House of Wax, starring Vincent Price, mm-hmm. Psycho, The mm-hmm. Amityville Horror, Alien, Silence of the Lambs. Those movies made the top 10 adjusted for inflation. And one more list of movies I'll give you before I shut up. If you're curious on what made 11 through 20, here they are in rapid order. 11, Van Helsing, which I don't consider that horror. There's two movies on here that I don't consider horror. Uh, Van Helsing is number 11. Number 12 is Resident Evil Afterlife. Number 13 is Ghostbusters. Which one? The original. Thank God. I mean, at least thank God it's the original. The original Ghostbusters is, you know, like many people, one of my favorite movies ever. But there are some scary parts. The ghost effect at the beginning uh, in the library is very scary. It's very good. It's a great effect. But the rest of it, like Slimer. The it's a comedy. Stay, yeah, the I mean, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. And then even Gozer herself she just looked like she belonged in an 80s music video she didn't she wasn't scary she didn't have inflatable Um, breasts like clown you like then it would have been a different kind of movie yeah so ghostbusters yeah i don't consider it horror but we'll just move on number 14 is shutter island number 15 is what lies beneath Mm -hmm. so your friend harrison ford made the list here yeah number 16 is the silence of the lambs shout out to harrison thank you for listening and i haven't forgotten that i owe you 10 bucks. And give us a retweet. <laughs> number 16, Silence of the Lambs. Number 17, The Original Annabelle. Number 18, The Village. Number 19, Get Out, which is uh, my favorite movie in this pairing, probably. 99% of Rotten Tomatoes. Nominated for four Academy Awards. One Best Original Screenplay. Go see that movie. Number 20 is The Ring. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So, and The Ring is another one that uh, I think people... It's kind of, you know, it was mocked in, like, scary movie and stuff like that. But that's another, like, really strong just story. Good movie. Yeah, it's good uh, for the time for the time it came out and using VHSs as sort of a vehicle to, as part of the marketing and the mystique around the movie. That was a great, yeah, it was a great idea. It was right at the end of, came out right at the end of VHS being the popular format and right at the beginning of, of DVD. So there was something about, like, a VH, holding a VHS in your hand that, 
was like, this is very nearly a, a relic from a, from a, from a past time. So yeah, they, they could not have, yeah. could not have done it. Cause now if you, now if you came out with the ring and someone found a VHS and they were like, someone said, don't watch that shit. You'd be like, okay, well, I don't have a VCR uh, anyway. Yeah. Unless I go to a, a thrift store, uh, I'll never see what's on here. Yep. And, uh, one more note of clarification. I marveled earlier at how this myriad of, uh, horror icons like Jason, Freddie, Michael Myers, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, none of those made the top 20 even, but that, that goes for adjusted and unadjusted for inflation. Either way, they did not make the top 20. So I don't think they're ever big. I don't think they're big like money makers, but I think in terms of uh, franchising and merchandising and then the rights to replay those movies, if you could, and I don't know how to do it, but I think if we looked at a top 10 list of like top earning Horror franchises. Yeah. Well, that that is a list on my list to do in the future is the top horror franchises. So we'll get there. And you're right. They so, they yeah. are if closer. It inc- if it includes things like Halloween costumes, if that licensing is you know applies to them, then Freddie, Jason, and Michael Myers ought to be like you know the top three. Yeah. And uh, Michael Myers has a movie coming out as we record this next month. But the highest grossing Halloween film to date didn't break 100 million. It got to 80 million, and that's Rob Zombie's 2007. Remake, which I didn't see. I didn't see that one, but the the new Halloween coming out, which I think was written or comedian or comic actor Danny McBride was involved with it, and yeah, I've heard that. I I love that dude. I love Eastbound and Down. Uh, I know it's not horror related. If you are listening to this and have not watched Eastbound and Down, uh, stop everything you're doing and watch the first episode. All right, I'll see you later. I got to stop and go watch that episode. Yeah. Well, we did it, so Brandon. It Our longest episode to date, but we got through the top 10-ish highest-grossing horror films of all time worldwide. Thank you, BoxOfficeMojo.com. Congratulations, listener. We will be back next week with a whole new top 10-ish list that Brandon here will hopefully take five minutes, five-minute break from uh, putting Bibles on top of uh, books and Spooky books and from watching Eastbound and Down, and hopefully he'll do five minutes of research for the next top 10-ish list. And in the meantime, don't forget to uh, follow us on social media and rate us five stars. One, two, three, four, five stars on iTunes. It's a huge help for us. Brandon, anything else we should plug real quick before we go? No, just those five stars. Thank you in advance. I'll, I'll plug something for else. For making us a five-star podcast. I'll plug something else. Bananas are healthy for you, and I think you should eat them tomorrow. Yep, time for shout-outs. <laughs> Shout-out to Bananas. <laughs> shout out to uh, Mike Knight Shyamalan and shout out to Harrison Ford Harrison Ford alright let's end this before it gets any worse we'll see you next week people thank you